hope enters into the veil. The veil we're talking about is first disclosed in Scripture in Exodus chapter 34. It is a veil that some folks know about, understand, and have heard about, but I want to cover a very general understanding of what that veil is. And in Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 through 35, we find the following. Now, this is Moses going face to face with God and God giving him the Ten Commandments. And, and he's been there in God's presence for 40 days. His face changes. It says, Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony, that's the Ten Commandments, were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. Now this shining, they said, was so bright, it looked brighter than the sun on his face. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as a commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. Now Moses' face was so bright, it was either hurting their eyes or it scared them. And so now when he would speak to them, he would speak from behind the veil to the Israelites there. Now, I say this to you because this veil covers the Word of God or the presence of God that Moses experienced that he's trying to share directly with the Israelites, but they can't handle the direct presence of God reflected from Moses. This veil is similar to the temple curtain in the Israelite temple in Jerusalem. The way that the temple was set up, there was an outer court, an inner court, and then the priestly court, and then inside the priestly court was the, the more holy place, and there was a veil between the holy place and the holy of holies. That veil covered that place called the holy of holies for a reason. And it's because when God came in there, if people saw the presence of God, it would kill them. It is said in Scripture, man shall not see face to face God and live. This also was told to Moses in this book of Exodus. So this veil covers the Holy of Holies and the Holy of Holies represents the presence of God with us. God's Word to us. Let me say this another way. The Scripture is sometimes called the Word of God, but who is the Word of God? 
Jesus is the Word. It even says the Word was with God in John chapter 1. So when the temple veil curtain, if you will, covered that place, it blocked access directly to the presence and Word of God. It is why Moses had the veil on his face because they couldn't handle it. In the temple, we couldn't handle it either if we were an Israelite in that location because we would be destroyed. So the veil was for our protection. But in Moses' day, the veil was there because they didn't think they could handle God's presence that closely. Let me say this this way. The veil is the curtain in life that separates that which is most holy from everything else. As in the temple, beyond that curtain is the presence of God where we find life. Although the veil separated so no one could see into the Holy of Holies, that's where the Spirit of God was. And where the Spirit of God is, is freedom. And without freedom, we stand to be in yoke to slavery again, in bondage. So we need the freedom that the presence of God ushered in through Jesus Christ brings to us. Agree? We need that freedom. We need life in Christ to have hope for eternity. So for freedom, Christ set us free. And so we need to stand in that freedom. But that veil keeps covering up the presence of God in life. Darkness, death, destruction, high school shootings, all these things are the veil on the presence and power of God that this world tries to put up. I encourage you this morning to believe with me that that veil does not have to be. Let me share a little bit more about the veil in the temple so you'll understand a little bit more how this thing worked. It was on the Day of Atonement, one day a year, that the high priest could go behind that veil into the most holy place and survive. Now, i got to tell you how this worked. I've said this in different occasions, but i like to refresh your memory and mind about this. The high priest would tie a rope around his ankle, and the rope would extend outside, under that curtain, into the priest's court. Now, while he was in there, he had bells on his fringes. So that when he's moving around, they heard the tinkling of the bells. Because they don't know if the priest has been purified properly and cleansed to be in the presence of a holy, righteous, perfect God. Because if he hasn't done it right, Scripture says he'll be struck dead. Hence, the rope around his ankle would pull him out. Never in history of this Day of Atonement did they have to pull the priests out. Wow. But I tell you this, 
when the priest was in there on the Day of Atonement, he was doing something very, very specific and very, very important, and it's important to us today as well. Because on that day, it was the day that he took the blood of the sacrificial lamb and sprinkled it on the Ark of the Covenant's container and upon the mercy seat and throughout the holy place to purify it. Now the priest had to go through some cleansing rituals of his own before he could do that. And I, I share this with you because once you understand what he's doing inside the veil, you'll understand why the veil was significant. And inside the veil, when he spread the blood, God's presence, he also had to burn incense. So it was filled with smoke on this day. Because he couldn't see God face to face. But God, on that day alone, would come and sit on the mercy seat between the two cherubim, the two angels, and the blood being sprinkled on it would see that blood and would overlook the sins of Israel as a nation for the previous year. And when the priest came out, it meant God accepted that sacrifice and harvest Seed time, prosperity, and blessing would continue. It was very difficult for them when the temple was destroyed to understand how God could ever possibly bless them. Because they couldn't have the sacrifice spread on their mercy seat. So that's why that's important. Now, in the veil then, nobody sees this happening. But they trust that the priest is doing what he's supposed to do. And thank goodness, right? Because, I don't know about you, but I'm just glad he did what he did. Thank you for doing that. Getting the overlooking of the sin of the previous year. And everybody celebrating this day of atonement. Now, a lot of folks go, well, what's so important about being atoned? It means that God overlooks or winks at the sin that has been committed. And every year on the Day of Atonement, it had to be done again. So you had a whole year of sins piled up on the nation and you need to get rid of them. (laughs) Every year it had to happen. When Jesus died on Calvary, it says that the veil was torn in two. We received access to the presence of God. But only in Jesus Christ. And only through His blood. And what Scripture tells us is when Jesus died, He took His own blood. As the temple was torn in two, He goes inside as the high priest forever, because that's what it says about Jesus, He will be the high priest forever, and once for all sprinkle His blood all throughout the Holy of Holies. Not just for past nation sins, but for all sin, for all time. That inside the veil, which is now torn, that place is considered pure for eternity. Cleansed. Which means we can go into God's presence 
through the blood of Jesus Christ and have full access to the mercy and grace and promises and prosperity of God. You and I were not there when Jesus did this. The temple priest was not there when Jesus did this. It was not the Day of Atonement. But I tell you this because it happened. It's recorded in Scripture, and it's a factual thing. It was torn. Now, you go, well, I'm glad to know that. It's not so much that you need to know that the veiled temple was torn, as in that it's still torn. Access is still granted beyond the veil. For you, for me, for all who believe in Jesus Christ. Yet that veil was a cloth one. Man-made. And the veil that we face in our world today is mostly man-made. Destruction, violence. It's evil running rampant. That veil, when we received access, signified that the darkness lost. Death lost. And death because of sin ended. Yet we say we still lose loved ones. We still can't seem to get beyond the fact that there's still darkness and loss. Let's take it another step further. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about the veil. I said chapter 12, I meant chapter 3, verse 12. Here's what Paul wrote. Therefore, since we have this hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. They didn't understand that the presence of God was worth having. For until this day, that same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. This veil is also in place in the New Testament until life in Christ takes it away. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. See, it's not a physical veil we're talking about. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. And don't miss that 16th verse. When you turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. I'm going to reference that verse in just a moment. And so that's why I'm emphasizing it. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. But we all, with unveiled face... Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image 
from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The same image is God's image. It is the image that Moses portrayed when his face was so bright they couldn't look on it. Jesus reflected also the glory of God on His face. This is a fact that when we turn to Christ, the veil is taken away. We cannot get to God without Jesus. We cannot get beyond the darkness in this world without Jesus. We cannot get beyond the veil without Jesus. We enter into God's presence in faith. It's faith that enters into the veil. Obviously, as I said, we weren't there when Jesus tore it in two. The temple is no longer all the way there. There's just a part of it left. Nonetheless, this work which God did, although the Holy of Holies that was there at the time was destroyed in 70 A.D., that work was a once-for-all work. He didn't have to do it again. And so, the veil of death and darkness is removed through Calvary and the shedding of Jesus' blood. In the Old Testament, only a purified high priest could go. A righteous by blood. And he couldn't go at the wrong time. <laughs> but our text today gives us a little different picture, doesn't it? It says there's something in that veil right now. Hope. Hebrews chapter 6. Hope enters. Now you say, why is that important? I'll tell you why. Because we need to know that we have access to the presence of God. Hope goes there. That we hope beyond hope, as Paul says, that what God said is true through Jesus Christ and faith is a conviction of what we cannot see. It's confidence that what God says is true. So, this hope anchors us in the presence of God. Hmm. Did you know that boats, most of them, are required to have anchors? Even little rowboats. It's true. Certain anchors have certain jobs. Uh, one of them I learned about this week was meant to hold the skiff, that's an ocean voyager skiff, to hold it in sand. And I'm thinking if an anchor is going to hold it in sand, won't the sand just kind of flow through the different parts of the anchor? And the fact is they've designed anchors many years ago that hold in sand. So when your life feels like sinking sand, there's an anchor for you that holds you fast. It depends on the kind of anchor and the kind of boat 
and the quality of its construction as to what the anchor holds. A little rowboat doesn't need a big, big anchor. When we were on the cruise, I looked at the anchors. They were very, very large. And the anchor, you don't just drop it and the anchor holds. It's not how it works. The anchor grabs a hold of something on the bottom of the, on the solid ground of the ocean floor, on the bedrock, and it hooks in. And the boat pulls and pulls on that chain until that anchor draws tight on something that will hold the big boat. The big boat has to be able to be secured in high winds, heavy rain, uh, rain, storms. It has to hold it against the movement of the ocean above it. It has to know when that anchor holds that this boat will be secure and allowed to move a little bit back and forth with the storms of life and not be held rigid. Because if a boat is held rigid, it will break apart. When we get into those tough places in our lives we feel broken, we need to have some movement. That the storm's going to move us further. Sometimes we think this is all I can handle, but there's a little bit more space in the line that the storm might blow us a different direction or further that way. And the anchor still holds. We need to know. We need to know that we're safe. We need to know that that anchor won't stop doing its job. So we have to know who constructed the anchor, what it was made out of, and what it's grabbing onto. And how much chain, or rope, or whatever connecting you to that anchor is. And then, the anchor's end of the chain, not connected to the anchor, is connected to the boat. And you have to know that what's connected to the boat is going to be strong enough to hold the boat too. Hopefully you know a little bit more about where I'm going with this. When we are tossed in the storms of life, we sometimes lose grip of the rope. But it says that hope anchors us behind the veil. And that the other end of that which is attached to the hope that's attached to us is attached to us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hope has wrapped itself around us and given us faith to know that the anchor holds there. That hope is based on the promises of God revealed by those who've been in the presence of God. Like Moses was trying to tell the Israelites, this is what I found from the presence of God. And they said, we just can't bear it. Cover it up. But he's saying, take away the veil and experience the presence and promise of God for yourself today. The chain, the anchor, the connections are eternal. They will not break or give way. And the anchor in verse 19 of Hebrews 6 says, 
we have hope as an anchor of the soul, both sure, which means solid, not going to break, and steadfast means it holds. And it enters the presence behind the veil. Hope does. And it says the forerunner, who is Jesus, has entered for us. Jesus went there on our behalf. And if Jesus is our friend and we're in relationship with Jesus Christ, He can tell us what's in the veil. He can tell us the reason for our hope. He can let us know that we have a peace even when the anchor is being tested for strength. Sometimes we need to know that God's anchor holds. Sometimes we need to know that our lives are not going to fall apart. What amazes me, and this is what we sometimes forget, but I invite you anytime you get to see a picture of an ocean liner to look at the chain. Just look at it. I wanted to know how sturdy the chain it took to hold an 850-foot boat. I just wanted to know how thick it had to be. The boat's like 150 feet wide, maybe, right? Maybe 100. I'm not exactly sure. I don't remember that we were on. But the chain, I figured that big, it's going to have to be like a tree size. Like this big around, you know, because the boat is so big and several thousands of tons that it's going to need a lot of weight. But what we forget is that a boat is in the water, it's lighter and less force to hold it in place. So the chain was about this big. And the length's about that big. And I looked at them and I said, how does this hold this? Isn't that what we say in the storms? How can I make it through that with this little bit of mustard seed faith and little bit of hope when I'm getting tossed around in life. What is it that gives me confidence that the anchor is going to hold? It's because it doesn't take a strong chain to hold a boat. And we are floating, if you will, through life on a journey. We're not sitting still. If you had an anchor to hold a, a, something that size that was its full weight, you need something about it. It's church-wide anchoring. So I, I'm a little curious, you know. I wanted to know the answers. So when we docked, I looked to see what it took to hold the boat at port. And I thought, man, it's going to take about six anchors and a whole bunch of lines. It had five lines. Table, about that thick around, five. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, that's not very much cable to hold this big old boat. I imagine that boat could probably snap that cable. And then I realized something. When you're safe at port, you just need something to make you feel secure. You don't need a whole lot. Not a lot of storms there. Just a little bit of cable to hold you in place because you are not trying to go anywhere and nothing's trying to move you. But when the storm's trying to move you, you need something that's going to move a little bit. And so I, I looked at that and I thought, I'm learning something here, God, and I didn't even know it. 
And I, I don't know about you, but I'm not a sea-going person. <laughs> you all probably heard my fears that were dispelled. But I'm thankful that somebody else figured it out for me. Someone who knew a whole lot more about the voyage and the journey. Someone who wasn't afraid of the sea. Someone who had been places I've never been before. Our loved ones have passed beyond the veil of death and darkness. And when we begin to question the validity of our loved ones being with Jesus or the reality of eternal life, that's the storms. The veil is trying to get put back up. And the fear says, well, you know, God, I know your word says it, but I really, really miss them. I want to see them again and I I really need something from you. And in those moments, darkness enters and we begin to exclude Jesus from the equation a little bit. We say, yeah, I'm asking you, God. But we begin to hit the veil, the fear, the darkness enter. I have to tell you this morning that there are certain things we understand through faith alone. That we cannot see them. But it says this, and don't forget this. It says Jesus entered into the veil. And the anchor is tied to him in hope and it holds securely. Why is that so significant on this day of all days? Let me share with you this. I needed a forerunner to tell me that the people I love are still alive and still there and someone had to go there before me and come back and tell me it's true. And there's only been one who did that. It was Jesus Christ who entered the veil and came back through, resurrected, and said, I am life. Through me, you have access. I'm anchoring you in the truth that this is the way God said it is. The anchor holds true hope. Without Jesus, we don't have hope nor a connection to what's next after this life. I needed, when my sister passed, and my parents passed, someone who had been there before to say, I can go back in there and I can tell you where they're at. I can tell you they're okay. I can think of no other than Jesus, the forerunner of our faith, the first one to go through the veil and come back out. And so I share this with you this morning for this reason. Because sometimes we begin to hurt and wonder if this is real. And we wonder what to do with our grief and our loss. And yet God keeps saying, I've got an anchor in here in Jesus Christ. He's been there. He's tied it on to the other end. This will be your way in. Oh, so what you're saying, God, is uh, that an anchor that goes down can be pulled back in. You see, there's one part about an anchor that I didn't understand real well. 
And maybe all of them understand this real well either. But my question was, God, once that anchor's stuck, the boat can't go anywhere. Right? It's lodged in the sand or the rock or the cleft, whatever it is. And now when the boat wants to leave, it's anchored. So how's it going to move? It was a question I had to ask. Did you know in the design of the anchor, when the storm is over, and the boat moves just a little bit in the direction toward, hear me, toward where the anchor's holding, it lifts slack on the line, and anchor shakes loose. Then they can pull the anchor back up to the deck. Sometimes they have to pull on the anchor to get the boat moving forward. <laughs> but when there's slack in the line, you can pull on it and go in the direction the anchor is secured. When the storm is over, you can grab a hold and tug on it and see it's still secure, or you can give it slack and pull yourself in. Our hope is in the veil where our loved ones are. And God says, if you just trust me and move toward me, where Jesus went in first, and come toward the veil and enter into my presence, you will see that everything I've said about this is true. You find it, it's like a storm. And it's just going to hold you a certain distance away. But if you come forward toward it, you begin getting closer to the truth. I needed to hear that. Because I often wondered, how does an anchor get turned loose? But it's when you move toward what it's holding you at. But there's another thing about this. It says that hope is the anchor of the soul. Not just our life, it's our soul. Which means we're never going to not need that anchor to hold where it's at. And so Jesus has taken it in there like He did with His blood and firmly entrenched it in the presence of God and says, you can come forward toward it, you'll feel a lot better, or you can pull against it, or the storms can pull it against it. But I'm going to get you there. I'm going to bring you there. It's true. The larger the vessel, or the stronger the storms, and bigger the waves, the stronger the anger needs to be held. What kind of anger do you need today? Do you need to know that those who've gone on before, family, friends, are secure in the presence of God? You just can't see Him right now. That there will be a day when you go following that anchor into that presence and you will be there together. What kind of anchor do you need today? How big does it need to be? How big is the battle you are facing? Jesus gave us a real clear picture, didn't He? Of how this works. 
And when we trust Him, and His power begins to work in our lives, through faith, things change. Confidence is restored. When we turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The anchor's still there. But the veil blocking is taken away. Maybe there's something you're struggling with that's keeping you from promise of God or believing that His Word is true. But the anchor's still holding there. And He has it wrapped around you on that other end. So you won't get too far away from what he needs you to be, his presence. And this morning, I wanted us to draw closer to God in a very specific way. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but I've set up a table with some tea lights on it. The larger candle in the middle of it. And I invite you this morning, if you're willing, we're going to have a, a special to close us out. But we need an anchor. Mm-hmm. And we need to remember that there is an anchor holding us. And holding us connected for our loved ones. And here's how I want to introduce this. Jesus was asked by the Sadducees a question about the resurrection. And he answered it in such a way that it really, really change the way I see how God looks at things. So I'll share this with you. He says, the scripture said, when he spoke to Moses at the burning bush, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. At that point in time, several hundred years had passed <laughs> since the death of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were no longer alive. The uh, way that God approached Moses and what he said to him was about 400 years after their death. And he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How can he be the God of somebody who is dead? God is over on the other side of the veil in our understanding saying, I am still their God. That means they're still alive. And that means that there will be a glad reunion day. And that the hope that Jesus Christ has given us says this day will come. Mm -hmm. I went in. I testified to it. I lock you into that place with an anchor. And I bring the line out to hold you. Rather than pulling the priest out, God is pulling you in. And the closer you get to His presence, the closer you know that these things are true for you. They are true for each person who's gone before us in the faith. So this morning, tangibly, I wanted us to do something with that. I've brought a candle to represent for us the Christ candle. I like that at this time. And I invite you, when the last song is being sung, it's a solo, not me. That you 
take a tea light and light it to remind you of family members, friends, and loved ones who've gone on before. And once you've lit it, if you will, just set it here on the altar as a burning reminder of the flame and fire of God that that person still is. And that one day, because of Christ, who gave that light to your candle, is already giving life to them. So I invite you to do that this morning. And I also encourage you to pray your anger stronger when you do that. Can you do that with me? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we, uh, we light a candle, the Christ candle. And it reminds us of your Son who, who's a fire, alive today, burning brightly. That He went into the veil and He came back out and said, there is victory over death. That life eternal is possible. And Heavenly Father, this morning we have that hope. And it's anchoring us in Your truth. And I ask this morning as we light a candle to those who we have lost over the years in our lives, that that candle would burn brightly, reminding us of their presence in our lives. Heavenly Father, and their presence before You as well. That we may be united in remembrance and in thankfulness that one day we will be together again. It's through You, Heavenly Father, that the darkness dissipates and we see the truth of Your Word. Thank You for that. And thank you for your work to us today. Amen.